What is up, everybody? This is Brayden from Flint Mastering, and I am the host and content curator of the Mixing Music Podcast exclusive episodes. And today we have for you an exclusive archive, which means you're going to hear an exclusive episode that DK and I recorded almost a year ago. You're going to have the chance to hear what our exclusive episodes are all about and how much fun and learning goes on between me and DK as we discuss technical tips and important techniques in relation to producing mixing and mastering. If you enjoy this episode and you'd like to be a part of the exclusive content we provide twice a week, you can do so by heading over to mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. We appreciate you. And we couldn't do this podcast without you. I hope you enjoy this episode of the exclusive archives. And with that, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. Another subscriber-only, exclusive, mixing music podcast episode. My voice cracked like three times in there. That was really embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm your host for today, Brayden from Flint Mastering, down with the vid, and joining me as always is Daddy. DK, what's up, Daddy? Down with the sickness. I think that's how that song goes. Yep, you're right. That's exactly it. Down with the COVID. <laughs> also, I just what realized, up? normally I say, what's up, DK, but for some reason I just said, what's up, daddy? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, if anybody listening right now ever meets me on the street or just like randomly, yeah, just say like, don't say, come up to me and be like, hey, are you DK? Be like, hey. Are you daddy? <laughs> Are you my dad? <laughs> hey, dad. <laughs> At first, I will be so confused. <laughs> and then, like, let me think about it for a moment and then let it click and just keep staring at me awkwardly. <laughs> I give you full permission to just let me feel. This happened the other day. Like, not not anybody calling me daddy, but, I mean, uh, I was at Costco. And every once in a while, people, because I live in L.A., right? Every once in a while, people come up to me and be like, Are you DK? And every single time, it's, like, kind of awkward. But because like I'm like super into it, like I'm not that famous, so it's like I'm like every time it happens, I'm like, yeah, dude, I am. This is awesome. We're so cool. We're so, this is so cool. I get to meet you, and they're like, they don't want to bother me or something like that. They're like kind of intimidated, so they're like, oh, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> nah, come up to me, hang out with me, call me daddy. Don't call me daddy. Uh, <laughs> call yeah, especially me daddy. not in front of his wife. <laughs> Dad, go to my wife and be like, is he my daddy? <laughs> I don't know what it is, man. I feel like people maybe it's maybe it's a generational thing, but I feel like engineers that are our age are much more kind and willing to like chat with people and like like if someone came up to me and they're like, Oh, are you Braden from Flint Mastering? Like people did that at NAM. And I was like, Hell yeah, dude, like let's have a conversation for the next hour. You know, whereas uh, I went and spoke with a mastering engineer at NAMM. I won't say who they are, but it was, like, very awkward. They were very cold to me. Like, it was like they did not want to talk to me. So, I don't yeah, know. I, I mean, the industry changed. Maybe we could do an episode about this. But yeah. the industry has completely changed, which I assume has changed the people as well. 
But I mean, it used to be nobody knew what was going on in the studio. It was all secrets, and you had to be an assistant to know anything what was going on. And it yeah. was mostly a bunch of introverts that didn't want to be in the limelight. Mm. There's a bunch of electrical engineering nerds that knew how to fix a console but didn't know how to talk to somebody. <laughs> but now, now it's like with social media and everything, it's like it's it's all a bunch of idiot content creators, <laughs> like me. I, that's, I was calling me an idiot. That's that's what that was the point of me saying that. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's fun. There's no secrets anymore. Yep. It was just, it was just interesting. It's interesting to see the difference. We want people to Definitely come up to generation. us. Older cats are like, stay away from me. <laughs> you know who you should talk to? Just like reach out and say hi to is like, there are like, there's one engineer that I just love him to death. And I talk about him all the time because he is the opposite of what you just described. Like he's the nicest, kindest person, but he's, He's like, he's in the game. He's been engineering in LA for over 20 years. Oh, wow. Bob Horn. Oh, okay. I love Bob Horn. And it's kind of like creepy how kind he is. <laughs> and like, dude, that guy, I will, I will, I might, I might be willing to take a bullet for that guy. He's so good. He's so kind. He is so kind. Well, hopefully Bob Horn is one of our subscribers so he can hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> for real, though. But uh, let's get into this episode. Cool. Well, after that tangent, yeah, let's get right into it. We've got a clip from Gregory Scott, the owner of Cush Audio. Silky, sultry voice, has really, really great takes about all kinds of stuff audio-related. His plugins are fantastic. His hardware is fantastic. And without further ado, we're going to listen to Gregory Scott talk about mix bus compression and when he applies it in the process. So here we go. Gregory Scott, roll the tape. For my mixing style, which I would consider to be aggressive, a mix bus compressor anywhere in the formative stages of the mix is my enemy. It just works against me. Part of that is because when I'm mixing and I'm shaping a song and getting it together, I'm not really listening for things like glue. I'm not, I don't really care about glue so much. What I'm listening for are the arrangement choices that I've made and how those translate into the mix. I want to know that my dynamics are in place. So if I've got an intro that's sitting here and it's this big, and then it hits the verse and sounds empty out and fall away, and it clears into a more open space and whatnot, I need to feel that happening in the mix. Now, if the kick drum is not quite tucked up in there with the bass guitar yet, and the snare drum's poking out a little too far, and there's like the acoustic guitars are just a little bit too like strumming at me, that's okay. So I'm just trying to get like the shape of the spaces together. I want my front to back, my left to right sorted out. I want to get my movement, my contrast, those kinds of things in place. The things that I'm focusing on early in a mix midway through a mix, even three quarters of the way through the mix, are not the kinds of things that a mix bus compressor helps me with in any way. Mostly because I just rely on mix bus compression for density. Sweet. Okay, so it seems like Gregory Scott has like a little bit of a different take on mix bus compression than other people. Maybe. I could be wrong. But uh, he specifically says when he's trying to get everything right, the mix bus compressor is his enemy and that he has a hard time with it and he fights it and he talks about getting everything good and wide open and getting it all balanced and everything and then he'll add his mix bus compression and i'm pretty sure he talks about that later in that same youtube video so dk tell us about your process for mix bus compression when you add it what you like about it and why you use it i love what he was talking about i love this episode i always love it 
when Gregory uh, talks. And I love his plugins, his Kush Audio plugins. <laughs> I know you can't see him, but like Braden's laughing. That's why I'm laughing right now. Um, but I love Gregory. <laughs> Gregory. <laughs> uh, he makes great plugins. I do recommend subscribing to his stuff. His saturation, whatever he's using for the algorithm for saturation is just like so good. It's so good. Anyway, um, great thoughts on this. And I love that his conversations are very open-ended and it sparks a lot of thoughts. I think the most important concept or principle um, from what he's talking about is, is doing things that matter first. For example, when you're painting, you don't, you don't varnish before you blend colors and try to you know figure that out. You don't, you don't start putting on paint before figuring out what you want to draw. So... Uh, what, what you want to paint, you know what I'm saying? So, like, if for Gregory, he's like, I don't like to do mix bus stuff because I wanted to get it right with the individual tracks first. And for some people, getting it right includes putting stuff on the mix bus in the beginning. Um, there's actually a really great and famous uh, episode of The Recording Revolution with Chris Graham on YouTube how to mix faster, and he starts off, he recommends actually starting off with the mix bus, and that works for many people, and I'm not saying that it doesn't work, but I am saying, and the second principle that he brings up is do what works for you, right? Um, I like the concept of doing things that matter first. Like, for example, um, as a mixer, I have a lot of people that hit me up, like, can you mix my song and, and make it better? But what really needs to happen is they actually need to edit it or work on the arrangement or tune the vocals first before they send it to me. And so I'll say, no, not yet. Tune the vocals first. I mean, you're not going to be happy with the mix. There's only so much that I can polish this turd, you know. Um, but I think that there's something to do with that. Uh, but then again, there are a lot of people that put stuff on the mix bus at the very beginning and that really works for them. Um, and it's okay to break any and all rules as long as it works for you. I, th I think that's the second point, and those two points go hand in hand. Um, I really, really like the concept of doing nothing on the mix bus and doing everything in the individual tracks first, so if you want it to feel thick, getting it thick without putting on the mix bus first. That's what I do, so I'm very, very biased, uh, extremely biased, and I know a lot of people that always 100% mix into a limiter and that's their sound, um, and I've actually heard many good reasons, both philosophical and logical that, that support that theory. Um, but myself, it just doesn't work for me. And no matter how right people say it is to mix into a limiter or an idea, whatever, I'm also confident enough with my own sound to know that that doesn't, again, that doesn't work for me. And I, I think that that's the thing that everybody should be taking away from this episode is is don't do things just because someone tells you to or just because some random YouTube channel or just some random, you know, Asian kid with a with the biggest mixing podcast in the world <laughs> tells you to do something. Uh, you know, I think that the point is you got to do what works right with you. Go with the gut. Um, and I really, really like that, that he made that very clear, that Gregory made that very clear in this clip. Um, but what did you think? I mean, I am generally not a fan of compression on, well, since I do mastering, I just, I don't, I don't like compression. Uh, I've talked to other mastering engineers that don't like compression because at the end of the day, it's just like, I know that sometimes certain compressors have a sound and things like that, but for me, it's like, it's just crunching transients more and just turning volume down more and pushing everything down just so I can bring it back up with a limiter or something like that, you know, and it's... 
like <clears throat> when I was mixing, um, I don't think I really like. I did never use mix bus compression like at the start, especially because it was kind of like my thought process. Like, I need to get this to sound right before I add anything to the master channel, and um, so for me, it was more about like balances and obviously like compression on individual tracks to fix snare drums that are poking out or a vocal performance that isn't totally perfect or things like that. Um, but I, I mean, I used it eventually. I put up because, well, I used it eventually because that's what I was supposed to do. That's what I've been told in school. Like I, I got all the tracks in a place where I liked them and now I have to put on the manly very mew because it's a mix bus compressor and that's what you do. Um, but, uh, yeah, the more I do this, the more I don't I don't like compression. Uh, and really, if I use a compressor on a master, I know it's not mix bus compression. I guess technically it kind of is because it's on like the whole track. But like I am just using it for tone, basically, or some kind of like uh, vibe or feel or specific sound. I'm not really using it to compress. Yeah, and I like that how at the end of his rant, he at the very end, he talked about what he's trying to get with the compressor. When he does put on the compressor, he's trying to get density, which is a great word to use. A um, couple things. First off, uh, I think this is important to say that, for example, you don't like compression on your mix bus or on, on, and when, when you're mastering. It just doesn't sound good. And this is not surprising. Um, I think that there's a practical benefit for compressors and how they uh, remove transients or, you know, chop transients a little bit. But as far as tone, some I've heard many YouTubers and many people say, I like these compressors because they thicken up my signal. And they don't. Like, sonically, they don't. Tran like, typically, compressors make things thinner. They make things sound thinner. And what that YouTuber meant or what that professional engineer me meant when they said it makes it thicker is probably what Gregory Scott was mentioning, which is more like density. It makes the waveform look fatter and so yeah. more sausagey. Yeah. Not that it actually sounds thicker. It's, it's interesting because when, first off, compressors, they, most of the time, just how they work, you lose low end. Like, you, yes. <laughs> you're going to lose low end. Yes. Uh, Every single time. And, of course, like, the transient, the punch. Um, but at the same time, again, that is super practical. When you come to the mix bus phase, when you come to the mastering phase, you're still, even though you hate the sound of compressors, I assume that sometimes you still end up using compressors. Because there is a practical difference when with dynamic automation or, like, amplitude, like, averaging out amplitude uh, between songs or sections, if it's slow or a fast one, it'd be from transients to, to non-transient sections, um, there is a practical use for it. I do want to recommend anybody that's listening right now that is using compression on the mix bus, do what Braden did, which is sit down, don't look at the computer screen, and bypass and enable the compressor multiple times, and figure out if it's actually doing your song any service. Now, what I try to do sometimes, and actually oftentimes, is especially when I'm in the mastering phase, I'll use compression, but I'll be using my eyes. I'll be looking heavily at meters. And the reason why I do that is because I'm hitting bypass and enable, and I want to see a meter difference. I want to see that the average dynamic is lower 
that I'm getting it a little bit louder. But the reason why I'm looking and not listening for it is because I do not want to hear the difference. So like I'm trying to get the practical amplitude sol- problem solved without actually changing the tone of the, my mix at all or a mix at all. So there's one of the few times that I rely more on meters than I do on my ears. Well, I use both because I have to make sure that it's not changing. Right. But I'll look at my eyes. I'll look at the meters to make sure that it is changing and that there's a purpose for putting it on there at some point. Another thing I'll say uh, with testing out compressors as well is make sure that you gain match like you either pull the gain back. There, There's almost always like a gain function on the compressor, uh, especially with like modern ones. So either pull it down or turn it up so that this, the compressed sound and the sound before compression are the same volume. Because otherwise, typically what happens is compressors will apply auto gain. And then you're like, oh, well, it sounds better. But it's actually not better. It's just louder. And so, you should you should do it not on metered loudness, not like meter it to the same volume. But you should do it like just off of instinct, yep. like perceived loudness. Yeah. So it should be the same perceived loudness. So if the, even if the compressed signal is slightly quieter on the meters because it's compressed, um, just just balance it and compare based on perceived loudness. That's the best way to do it. And people don't mention that. I don't know why people don't mention that. Um, but yeah, that's super duper important. A lot of compressors, digital compressors, have auto gain or like waves. If you pull up the SSL G bus, the default, uh, the default has like plus five dBs of makeup gain without <laughs> even doing anything. It's crazy. So just yeah. just uh, when you're comparing and bypassing enabling these plugins, yeah, make sure that you're exactly right. Um, last thing that I want to mention before we end the episode is, is about density and what, what I think Gregory, Gregory, uh, meant by density. Um, and I think that he means just in general thickness, not in frequency, but thickness as in dynamics. Um, when you, when you get that wall of sound tone that Andrew Sheps was famous for, you know, back in the day, um, there is a thickness that can be dope and awesome but it also can be very unpleasant, as we learned from the loudness wars of the, you know, the 80s and 90s. But uh, it's interesting. Or no, it was 90s to 2000s. <clears throat> yeah, it was like 90s to 2010s. Still yeah. kind of, still kind of ish going on a little bit. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason why there is a war going on with loudness is because it works. <laughs> people, people are psychologically attuned to louder things. Like if you play the same mix and one is one dB louder than the other, people are assumed the mix is better, that the song is better produced because it's louder. Fletcher Munson curves, baby. Yeah, so you got to recognize that as well. So like use that to your advantage. But um, So that's why you want to use compressors and not just leave it super dynamic, you know, <laughs> super because you're going to lose uh, perceived loudness. So something to think about... Um, Anyway, let's end this episode. What's the challenge for this week, Brayden? Uh, the challenge is try mixing without mix bus compression. Don't put anything on the mix bus. Just try to get the song where you want it without any. And then, after you've done that, try mixing into a mix bus compressor or into a limiter. And see, and then compare the two mixes and see which one you like better. Or see what, maybe not which one you like better, but what you like about each one and why it works for you. So, and 30 seconds, DK, what's your favorite mix bus compressor or one you use the most? Ooh, recently, I actually haven't been using very much. Ah. 
Ah, uh, yes. Recently, I've not. I've been more on Clippers. I'm on that Clipper life. Same. Uh, but I use uh, I use um, Vertigo VS2 or whatever from Plugin Alliance. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Uh, the iHeart New York some sort sometimes works. I use it a lot for my Feedback Fridays, but mostly because it's easy parallel compression. Um, dude, the Kush Audio stuff is great. AR1 is one of my favorite compressors of all time. Uh, it's a slow one, but you can get you can get at faster speeds in general. Dude, yeah, API 2500 from Waves. The Waves one specifically sounds good to my ears for some reason. Um, but there's a bunch. I I love testing them out. I always like try two or three before I pick one when I'm mixing. Yeah. We can add that to the challenge too. Get some free downloads or a trial period, test period plugins of compressors. See which ones you like. And then maybe it'll convince you to get one. Then you can keep using it in the future. And but- be open-minded enough to find out that the one that's stock might be better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it, and it's okay. If, it's, if the free one is better, then... Oh, good on you, man. Even, There's no need to spend money. Yep, even better. Cool. Well, on that note, we'll do our housekeeping real fast. Subscribe, youtube.com forward slash DK Mixes. Check out DK's live streams on twitch.tv forward slash DK Mixes. Friday mornings, 10 a.m. Pacific Ooh, Standard Time. I figured it out. There's a new link now, dkmixes.com forward slash videos. Ah, there And it'll go. just redirect you to YouTube or Twitch. Perfect. And then, as always, uh, if you want to find other super cool free stuff and helpful resources, links.dkmixes.com. And with that, good luck with your challenges, good luck with Mixbus Compression, and DK, sign us off. Happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy!